Welcome to Courageous Womanhood with Shalise Allen Millett, where we believe every woman has a story to tell. This is Shalise Millett, and I'm here with Sandra Jarvis. Sandra wrote a book. I did write a book. She wrote a book. (laughs) So we're going to talk a little bit about her book and about her coaching and just about her life, because Sandra's amazing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Um, Sure. So um, I am Sandra Jarvis. (laughs) I'm the mother of five children and the grandmother of six, and my grandchildren are my favorite. And... (laughs) And my kids know it. So, you know, um, I've been married to my husband for 32 years. And it has been the adventure of a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I currently am a life coach. And I run a life coaching business out of my home. And I love working with women and helping them better understand themselves and and get what they want out of life. So that's kind of who I am. Awesome. Okay. I don't even know where to start. Let's, should we start with your book? Sure. Let's start with your book. Okay. So spoiler alert, I'm in the book. Yes, you are. <laughs> Very excited about this. <laughs> but the book's not about me. It's about Sandra. It's a memoir. It is a memoir. Okay. Yes. And Shalise is in my book. I am in your book. I'm very and excited. She, she even used her real name in my book, so you'll know her. <laughs> Most of the people change their name in your book. A lot of people A did. lot of people yes. did. A lot of the people in there are not the actual names, but it is a true story, completely true. And um, <clears throat> it is it is called Severed. And it is the story of severing my right dominant hand and the healing that came from that. And the healing that came um, physically as well as emotionally and spiritually. And so it's the story of me. You will read it and you will know more about me and my family than you ever wanted to know. (laughs) Ever wanted to know. (laughs) Well, and let's, without giving too much away in the book, maybe let's start a little bit with your childhood trauma and and why you wanted to write this book in the first place. Why it was important to you to write this book. So I was born into a family that was very abusive. And there was a lot of stuff that went on in my childhood that... um, was was pretty difficult and that you know I mean I guess I can't say most people don't deal with because I don't really have any idea but most people don't talk about it for sure and um I knew from a really young age that I wanted to be able to use my experiences to help other women who were struggling and that has kind of been my life goal is to figure out how to do that but I honestly just continued struggling (laughs) the struggles never seemed to end and so there never came a point where I felt like I was in a position to be an example because I was just always dealing with the problems you know right and um so that childhood trauma really shaped who I am and really I mean, I personally would say that, like, I'm grateful for my trauma because I feel like it it gave me an understanding of things that I couldn't have learned any other way. Yeah. And um, 
And so when I had this, I had an accident a few years ago and severed my right hand. And um, as soon as I had that accident, literally within weeks, probably within days, actually it was within days because it was my home nurse who first said to me, you need to write a book. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and it was interesting because at the time, you know, she was obviously referring to writing a book about my hand Mm -hmm. but the more I thought about it the more I thought this really is the story you know of all of these things that have happened to me and then having it culminate in such a traumatic and dramatic right (laughs) Right. (laughs) go big or go home you got it like Okay, well, now we have a story. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, and I do, okay, so I want to go back to you. You're grateful for the trauma that you went through. I am. You, when you and I met, it was in a women's support group through counseling, and yes. you were not no. grateful for the no, trauma. No, I wasn't. I you was actually very angry. Very angry. <laughs> very angry about the trauma. <laughs> yes. What it, the opening scene in my book is in our group. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And it is an anger release. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was very angry. Very angry. Very angry. So, and I, I think we see you go through that process a little bit in the book of, yeah. of the healing from the angry to where I'm grateful for this. And, and I, I know myself right. because of this. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so you don't say it lightly. I don't think when you say I'm grateful for my trauma. Oh, no. Yeah. No, I don't. But the past, I mean, it's been, it has been almost six years since the accident. That long. Wow. Crazy, huh? Yeah. And um, in that time, I have completely changed. And I look back at all of the lessons that I've learned and all of the ways that I've grown and all of the healing that has happened. And I have to be grateful for it. Yeah. And... I actually have a friend, I'll just tell you this, that she and I were talking recently and um, I said that I was grateful for the trauma and I actually said to her, I wouldn't trade it because I feel like it's made me who I am today and it has given me a relationship with God that I think I wouldn't have had otherwise and given me an understanding of things, you know? Yeah. And she was like, well, I don't agree. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. <laughs> she said, She said. well, because I haven't had all that trauma and I still feel like, you know, I have a relationship with God and I have, you know, well, whatever, you know, and I didn't argue with her because, you know, how do you argue with someone right, who right. thinks they're right? But the thing is, is that I really think that our experiences whether they're traumatic or not, they do make us who the, who we are. Yeah. And we do learn from those things. And that each of us really has, you know, we're, we are being given the experiences we need to become the best version of ourselves. And so when I look at it that way, I think, well, of course she can be grateful for her experiences and not trauma. Right. But I can be grateful for my trauma. Right. Because it's made me who I am. Yeah. And... You know, that doesn't mean that trauma makes me better than you or her or anyone else. Yeah, we cannot compare traumas. Right. We just can't. But I I just, I I think it's important for the listeners to understand that that you don't take it lightly. I mean, I remember you calling me after church one time and saying, 
stupid person in the, in class was like, you can just sing your way through life, even if it's bad. And I hate her for saying that, you know, like, you were so mad because you weren't there and it was right. okay that you weren't there. Right. It was just where you were in the process right. of the healing and getting to the gratitude. Yeah. I, I have my own, I call it Shalisa's cycle of submission. <laughs> where I first am like, Heavenly Father, don't make me do this. Like, I do not want to do this. And then I go to, fine, I'll do it, but tell me how long. Just tell me how long I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I finally get, when I finally get to, okay, I understand. What do you want me to learn? I know I finally come to a place where I am changing. Right. But I always have to go through that stupid cycle yes. first, yeah. you know. My own personal, I don't know. Maybe everyone no, has that true. cycle. I, and I think, that, I think that we probably all have some version of that cycle because initially when you're hit with things it's hard yeah it's always hard yeah you know and and the reason I hated that woman (laughs) was because the way that she presented it was just well trials don't have to bother you you can just sing your way through life (laughs) you know yeah and it was yeah it was the it was not being authentic and real Yeah. yeah you know it's like I have a way different attitude today than I did when we met. Right. But I still don't think you can sing your way through life. No. I think that's unrealistic. And I think that when we try and put forth that image, we do a lot of damage. Yeah. Yeah. I think the authentic, for me, the authentic is it is so hard. I choose to sing anyway. Right. Not I'm, I'm pretending it's, it's okay. Right. But I choose, right. you know, I choose happiness. I choose the Lord. I, I'm Definitely. choosing how I respond. Yes. But it sounds like she was more pretend it's not yes. happening and everything's okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I, I think that's a problem in society, honest, <laughs> when we're not vulnerable with each other enough. That yeah. we can't relate to each other. Exactly. We can't even relate. Right. If well, and we think that we're alone. Yeah, we think we're alone because no one's so... Let's kind of go back to your childhood where you don't talk about it. Right. You just don't talk about it. Right. And so you think you're alone. Right. And so, which I think is one of the amazing parts of your book is you're finally saying, this happened right. to me. And it happened right. to me in a good Christian home right. where nobody knew yeah. it was happening. Right. Maybe some people knew, but... Yeah, there were a few, but not many. Yeah. Not, not the extent. Yeah. There's dangers in the secret. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I actually have um, some clients right now who knew me as a child, who knew our family. Oh, they lived just a couple of blocks away from us. And I haven't known or been in touch with them yeah. for 30 plus years. But through my book, they found me and they hired me. And it's been really interesting because... As I learn more about them and their family and what was going on in their childhoods, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I never knew. Really? <laughs> like, yeah, well, we never knew either. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just interesting because it's, you know, we lived right there. Yeah. We interacted all the time. Yeah. But we didn't know right. what was going on in each other's homes and each other's lives and how it was affecting us because it's taboo to talk about. Because we don't talk about it. Right. And part of that, I think, is protecting the people that are, we're protecting the abusers. Oh, we're protecting the perpetrators. Definitely. Tell me your stance definitely. on that because <laughs> you can't see Sandra. She's a little passionate about that. <laughs> we do. We protect them. We do. We protect them. And, and I mean... You know, I don't think that all perpetrators are bad people. Yeah. I really don't. I believe that there are many 
people who they are a product of their own abuse and their own issues in life and their own traumas and, you know, and so I don't have a good answer for how to be authentic and real and not hurt other people. Yeah. But I think that we go to extremes to protect the perpetrators and it's wrong. Yeah. It's absolutely wrong. Yeah. You know, the, because there is so much damage done. And, and the thing is too, is that if people could understand that if, if we would deal with the perpetrators when the acts are happening, yeah, then we could help them. Yeah. They could get help. Yeah. And they're not going on to hurt other people. Right. Exactly. Instead, it gets all covered up. And by the time, you know, like me, you know, I get to the age of 50 and it's been 40 years since all of that was happening. And, you know, one of the perpetrators is gone and the other one has a full family and a life. and, And to expose all of that could destroy his life. Right. Then it's like, okay, but... But then it's never addressed. And is yeah. that really doing the perpetrator right. a favor? Or the generations coming, right. even. And yeah. I don't think it is. No. I think we actually are doing a great disservice, not just to the abused, you know, but to the abuser yeah. as well. Yeah. And that if we would simply allow it to become something that we could talk about, right? then we could do a lot of good for people who are dealing with hard things in their own lives that are making them choose this path of, you know, hurting other people. Right. Right. Well, and I think, okay, so my experiences with you and some other women. Um, so my daughter had an experience where she, she's off at college in this little small town and the landlord was peeping on them mm-hmm. and doing some other horrible things. And the girls were so young and so naive and they didn't understand. And the parents are kind of like, Oh, we're not sure. And, and something finally ha- happened that the girls understood that it was a bad situation and that he was really preying on them. Right. And so we, of course, immediately got her out of there. But some of her roommates were like, okay, we're just going to go. We're not going to make a big deal. And to me, you know, I told my daughter, we can never let this happen again. We have to go to the school and not let him ever advertise to have girls in his apartment. And right. we have to go to the police and we have to tell him. And But for me... After my experience watching you and other strong women, it was giving her a voice. Even if nothing happened to the perpetrator, you know, my husband's an attorney and he's like, there's really no cause where he'll be arrested. Didn't matter to me. She needed a voice. She needed to know that she was telling the right people and that she was protecting future girls from that happened too. And I was so, because she's she's more timid than, you know, me. (laughs) And so she, but she did. She went to church leaders. She went to the school leaders. And the school was amazing. They said he will never advertise here and for housing. And if he wants to sue us, we're ready. I mean, they were so supportive. The church yeah. leaders, the police, by the time it got to the police, they're like, where have you been? We've been waiting for you to come and tell us, you know, because <laughs> it's just a small town. But to feel that support from the community and to have her voice was, even if nothing happens to him, she had a voice. And right. I think that's just part of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. And that that is, I think, an extremely important thing. And because of my own experiences, we have had experiences with our children that I think 
many people would have overlooked, you know, mm-hmm. with teachers or different yeah. things through. And I was like, no, we're not overlooking it because yeah. my child is going to know that if they tell me something, right, I'm going to take it seriously. And that adult is going to have to deal with the consequences. Yes. Yeah. I have their back and right. we don't protect perpetrators. Right. We just exactly. don't. And that's where I come from. Yeah. You know? And it's hard. It, I mean, it's really hard because yeah. most often perpetrators are people, you know, they're not yeah. strangers and people you love. Yes. And people you love right. and people you don't want to harm. Right. And so it is hard. Yeah. But I think that it is important to, you know, to believe, first of all, if, yeah. if so, I mean, you know, the statistics show if a child comes and says that they're being abused in some way, the likelihood of them making that up is next to nothing. Yeah. So if someone tells you they're being abused, well, just believe them. Right. Right. There's <laughs> no frame of reference for a child. <laughs> no. Well, no. no frame, well, that and, and even for older people, it's like most people don't make up stories no. about abuse. You don't want to be abused. No. No. So most people don't make up stories about abuse. It happens. Yeah. Occasionally. Yeah. But you are more than likely going to be on the right side if you believe the person, you know, right. who's accusing. Right. And so that's the first thing. But then, you know, help them have a voice. Help yeah. them help them get what they need. Yeah. And help them be able to talk about it and know that they're going to be taken seriously. Right. And that they can get the help that they need to overcome it. And that the person who did it to them is going to face consequences. Yes. I think that that is so important. Right. And so empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge. That it's not okay. No right. one thinks it's okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. I want to move on in your story because it's such okay. a good one. So. Okay. So, <laughs> so what's we next? come from childhood abuse. <laughs> all, the, all the kinds of abuse, really, that we're talking about. Yeah. Very much. And then, so when we met... Um, you were going, okay. You were going through cancer. Yes. When we met, I had just finished my cancer treatments. Yes. Like barely. Barely uh, finished your cancer treatments. Right. Some stuff with your kids going on. My, yes. My son had just told us he was gay. Right. And, um, we had another son who had been involved in pornography and then I found out that my husband was involved in pornography as well. So, yes, all of that was going on. And you'd been married how many years and you thought your husband was not? <laughs> At that point, we had been married for about 15, maybe a little longer than 15 yeah. years. It was probably almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was about 20 years yeah. at that point. Yeah. And I had known about my husband's addiction earlier in our marriage, but I had been led to believe, I will say, (laughs) that there was no longer a problem. Right. Which, by the way, just a little insert here. If it's ever a problem, it's always a problem. (laughs) So ladies, if you, if your husband's telling you that it's just gone away magically, they're lying to you. Right, 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 right. So I'm going to throw that in there. (laughs) Just in our experience, so many women that, that we've watched that you know, husband goes and confesses to a church leader or something and the, and finally comes and tells them. And then they'll say all the time, and it breaks her out loud, He, it's over now. Yeah. He told me it's over right. now. And it's, let's talk about your experience on the other end of finding out 
what is that like for you? Like, like, like today, is that what you're no, saying? No, when or? it happened, like, I, I think <clears throat> I just want, you know, I think there's a lot of three things a lot of women go through oh, yes. when they hear that their husband's addicted to pornography or has been looking at pornography. I think there's a lot of really typical reactions. So let's talk about those. Okay. So devastation. Devastation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no hesitation to say devastation. <laughs> like, Absolute devastation. devastation. Right. And, and the feeling that you're just not enough. Mm. I mean, you're, you know, suddenly you discover that you haven't been enough to satisfy your husband. Which is a lie. It is definitely a lie because pornography really has absolutely nothing to do with you. Yeah. I mean, that's just the truth. Yeah. But that's not what it feels like. Because it's so easy to sit here and say. Oh, yeah. But but it feels devastating and it makes you feel like you are ugly and fat and undesirable and not sexy and like I mean, if I had only been then yeah, he wouldn't if have it, well definitely I mean of course if I had been everything he needed then he wouldn't have ever had to turn to that which again which is a lie a lie <laughs> right <laughs> a total lie right and in the case of my husband he was introduced to pornography when he was five or six I mean it was a lifelong thing wow. and I didn't understand that that You know, I mean, looking at it today from the place I'm at today, I can go, well, of course it had nothing to do with me. He was doing it from the time he was five. You know, he didn't know me until he was 22. Right. So (laughs) there were 17 years there that had nothing to do with me, you know. But there's this fallacy that, you know, marriage can fix sexual addictions. Yeah. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Because marriage has nothing to do with the addiction. Yeah. That's like saying marriage can fix a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction or a food addiction or any other addiction. Marriage has nothing to do with the addiction. And so that's so important to understand because initially, I think every woman who finds out that their husband is looking at pornography, it feels like a direct attack. Yeah. On you and your marriage. Yeah. Like, it's a ba- this is about me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you could not think that. <clears throat> right. I, uh, honestly, I, I think every woman has to go through that stage. And I, right. I think the other thing that happens that I've seen, and I, I mean, correct me, tell me, is suddenly when, when he tells his wife that what's been going on, it's like he hands the burden to her. So he feels lighter. He feels oh, yeah. good. The secret's out. He just handed her a horror. huge, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. I, and I don't think he always has the capacity or the ability to deal with her dealing with it, right? Because he's a shame, and right. Yeah. Well, and then what happens is that then he feels so much better, and she feels completely destroyed. Yeah, and then often. Then he's upset because his wife is angry. <laughs> right, right. Like, why, why? I was honest with you. Right. Why can't you just get over it? Because right. it's never going to happen again. Yeah. It's all going to be okay. And that's also a lie, and by that's the way. Also a lie. <laughs> Always. Always a lie. Always a lie. <laughs> yes. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, it's a horrible thing to have to deal with and to not understand that the addiction is truly completely unrelated yeah. to you and your marriage. 
It's its own beast. It is its own beast. It's, yeah. And, it, and, and I think it's so important to recognize that if you have a spouse who is looking at pornography, that it's just, it's just a thing yeah. to him, you know? It is not you. It's not related to you. And in fact, he probably hates it as much as you do. Yeah. And it's an addiction. It's, yeah. It is an addiction. I appreciate that you said he probably hates it as much as you do. I mean, I mean, I remember telling a friend, he never wanted this. Like, right. he grew up, the what I'm thinking about, he grew up in an, a sexually abusive home. Mm-hmm. And so he, later on, you know, and, and, and of course she's upset. And I'm thinking, but he didn't ask for this. Like, not that we have to excuse the behavior. <laughs> I'm not no. saying that. But he, you, I think you're right. He probably hates it yeah. as much. And himself. Oh, yeah. And the shame that yeah. it goes along with that is just, it's a, it's its own creature. Yeah. I mean, really, it, it is, it, it's a, I mean, pornography is such a difficult thing because it hides and yeah. it grows in the dark. And so it's shameful and they don't want to talk about it. But when they can't talk about it, then it that feeds it and yeah. it's just an ugly cycle that goes on and on and on and on you yeah. know and i think it's interesting my husband and i had a conversation recently about um about this because women we talk about this stuff mm-hmm. you know i mean like not openly right, you know right. but we will open up to our closest friends yeah, or whatever. Our safe people. Yeah, yeah. And say, you know, my husband has an addiction or I'm really struggling or I'm really hurt right. or whatever. And and in my mind, I guess that like pornography was like a locker room type of thing, you know? They're all the guys are all in there and they're right. like I guess because that's you know, we kind of see that in the movies. Yeah, right. 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 <laughs> yeah. And so in my mind right. I always kind of felt like that was something that the men talked about somewhere. Yeah. And he was like, oh, no. We never talk about it. Wow. <laughs> men don't talk about pornography. <laughs> <laughs> so you just use it. You don't right. talk about it's it. All, so it's all it. in secret. We're back to that secret. Oh, yeah. That. And that's what I'm saying is that it's like it is complete, you know, hidden. Yeah. It is in the dark. It is by yourself. And, and more so now. I mean, you used to have to try to go to Circle K and pick up a magazine or right, come across but it. But now you just pull out your phone. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is it is a complete secret. And and something that there's, especially in, like, in a Christian community. Yeah. Then you're, you know, you're alone. Cause, right. Because you can't admit it to your wife. Right. You can't admit it to your friends. Yeah. You can't, you know, Yeah. even though, I mean, statistically, like 70% of men right. look at pornography. Yeah, you're not alone, but statistically. That no one's, no one's admitting it. Right. My husband actually had an experience after all of this came out and he was dealing with it and he's very open about it now. And um, <laughs> he stood up in, in church. He was in church leadership at the mm-hmm. time. And he stood up in church and he broached the subject of pornography with the men's group. Yeah. And so it was just men in the room and they were all over the age of 30 mm-hmm. and, you know. So and not young men. We're talking no, adults. No, these were adult men. Mostly adult married men, probably. Right. And he broached the yeah. subject and one of the men said, we don't have that problem here. 
What? We don't need to talk about it. <laughs> My husband came home that day floored, first yeah. of all, but almost laughing. Like, guess who has an issue? <laughs> <laughs> really? You're the only group of men in the world that don't have right, a problem with right, this. Right. Congratulations. <laughs> but they're not talking about it. No. And no. it is a it can be devastating. Yeah. It can be devastating to a marriage, to a family. Yeah. And I think it's sad because I think it doesn't have to be. Do you think that you can heal alone? I mean, I know you can heal alone from it, but in a marriage, I'm just thinking, so I'm looking at the scenario that you're describing and he's in total shame and you're in total body shame and other kinds of wife shame and I'm not enough shame. And if you heal alone, I'm, I'm wondering how that is on the marriage. I think you almost have to heal together through it. For the marriage's sake, I don't know. I don't what know. do you think? I don't know if I agree with that. Okay, so you think <laughs> so you think you all ha- you have to have your own healing. I do. I think that I think that healing from something like that has to be a separate thing in order for you to come together and be healthy. Okay, so bringing together two holes. Yeah, I really do because I the, can see that. Okay, because the thing is, is I think that as long as you are both in shame mm-hmm. and both unhealthy coming together just creates yeah. all kinds of issues. I appreciate that. Well, and cause some men will never get over it no. and some women will never get right. over it and forgive. And so there has to be hope that they're right. still healing. And the healing is that. you. Yeah. The healing is you a hundred percent. And I, and I have to say, I admire your husband. He's been on your podcast. Tell me the name yes. of your podcast again. My podcast no longer exists. Oh, okay. Just it's, kidding. <laughs> it's no longer there, but okay. someday he'll be on my podcast again, and I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. But he, but he came on, and he was very open he about was. his pornography. He and was. he's in, in the book. I mean, everyone knows who you're married to. Does he right. use his name in your book? He I does. Remember. He does. Yeah. Okay. So he's very open about it, which right. I admire right. about him. That Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of its own healing, maybe. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I talk about this in in the book, but I think that it, um, for, for us, it came to a point where my husband decided that he was going to heal, whether I forgave him or not. Wow. And he was going to do everything in his power to deal with that addiction for himself, not for me, not for God, not for anything, but for himself. And I came to the same conclusion that I was going to let go of his addiction and allow it to be his. And I was going to love him for who he was. And if that included the addiction, then I was going to love him with the addiction. And in that process of both of us almost separating from because we had been very enmeshed before that and separating ourselves out and taking you know complete responsibility for our own healing Mm -hmm. it was in that process that we were able to come back together and start to talk about it and really be able to be open and heal and and now it's, I mean, we talk about it often, quite honestly. Wow. And, you know, my husband is very open and he says, it's something I struggle with every day that I, you know, he 
honestly, I'll just tell you, I have told him that I don't want to know where he is with the pornography. Mm-hmm. It's between him and God. Yeah. And he will report to me every once in a while because he wants to. Yeah. And that's fine. But I don't ask him about it. I don't even want to know about it. I figure it's his thing. Yeah. And whenever I was constantly worried about it, constantly thinking about it, constantly wondering about it, then I was taking responsibility for it. Mm. And it wasn't mine. Yeah. And so in giving it to him and saying, this is yours, you deal with it. And then choosing to remain married either way. Yeah. It kind of released me from dealing with the effects of it. Wow. That kind of goes back to me to the part where, um, where you were saying that it's, it, it has nothing to do with our marriage. Like you finally understood that it had nothing to do with you. Right. It yeah. really didn't have anything to do with you. Right. And it's probably hard for a lot of women listening to even imagining getting, like, did you ever imagine you would get to that point? No, no I imagined that it would either be, he would, miraculously be healed and never deal with it again so that I could be happy. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. <laughs> or I would divorce him. <laughs> In my mind, those were the only two options. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and that's not... Those aren't. That wasn't option C, which was what we ended up dealing with, you right. know, is that he still deals with it every day. Yeah. And whether or not he's actively looking at pornography, I can tell you that he says he's not. Mm-hmm. Do I believe him? I just don't really think about it. Yeah. It's not mine to believe or not believe. Right. You know, and so I know that I have a husband who struggles with that mm-hmm. and he will always struggle with it. And I have chosen to remain in my marriage. Yeah. Because I love him. Mm-hmm. And I hope that he's able to overcome it. Yeah. And I look at it as, you know, I have issues. Yeah. And I'm working on my issues. And I'm sure that he hopes someday I'll overcome my issues. Yeah. Yeah. We all have, we all have our vices. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so it's just, if, when you can get to a point where you can see it as that, yeah. as a vice. Yeah. As, you know, something that it's just another thing that we struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. And. It kind of takes power out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, um, this probably was just because of the type, some of the type of the abuse you had as a, as a child, this probably was like your worst nightmare. Like you were getting married to escape that kind of abuse and yeah, yeah. no, it was, it was probably the worst. Well, I actually told my husband recently that I think that I've lived all of my worst nightmares. Yeah. He was like, you better think about that really closely because if you haven't. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, don't say that out loud again. <laughs> but it was. It was a horrible thing to come to that realization that I had married someone who, you know, yeah. who was doing the things that had been done in my childhood home mm-hmm. that had brought about so much pain. Yeah. And so much anguish. Right. Right. So, Stuff you probably thought you were escaping. Oh, definitely. Out of your home. I was, yeah. Yeah. Well, and so living your worst nightmare, and we don't want to, I don't want to give too much away in your book, but your your son coming out as gay was probably yes. another oh, yes. worst nightmare. Right. That... right. It was because my father was also gay mm-hmm. and, um, 
and had died a few years before and watching him go through that was horrible. And, and he, so he died from, from AIDS, from AIDS. That's yes. right. Yeah. Okay. And, um, so watching him go through that and then having your son come out. Right. Was horrible. I mean, yeah. the thought of that was just yeah. awful. And so, um, it was really a difficult thing to deal with that. And all of this happened within, you know, uh, I mean, from 2000, like January, 2012 to May, 2014. Yeah. All of cr- this came out. Yeah. And I think was, that's about the time yeah, we met. Was, was about the time it all we met came out. in September of 2012. Yeah. 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 So that was, yeah, it was right in the middle of all of that, <laughs> yeah. right at the beginning. Of it all hadn't of all it, really. come out yet. No, just some no, of it. Just some of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was an awful time and it was really hard to deal with that um revelation you know mm-hmm. of my son being gay and it was just you know and it was just kind of one more thing for me because having been sexually abused mm-hmm. and then discovering that my husband was a porn addict and then having a son who was who was gay it was like in my mind it was like can we just get rid of sex right Right. <laughs> I actually remember you saying that. Like, yeah. I hate the whole... <laughs> exactly. It was like, let's just get rid of sex. It will make the world a much better place. Right. Much happier, you know? No more children, but <laughs> much happier. Hey, that could be a good thing, too, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was really hard. It was a really hard time. Very challenging. It challenged my faith and just really challenged everything that I had believed. Yeah. You know, and frankly, there were many days where I just really didn't want to continue. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I can't even imagine. I can't. And, and your acceptance now is incredible to me. You're just very, in fact, you're moving up close. Please join us next time for part two. Thank you for tuning in. Please like and subscribe. It helps our algorithms so we can be seen and heard.